0: They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt.
1: Well, friends, I've lost track of what episode number this one is. I think we're somewhere in the 40s, but this is a Rough Drafts podcast first. This is our first remote interview, and it's with someone. Who is, uh, he is just a walking picture of the heart of the Burns community and the Burns church. Uh, today's guest is a retired chief master sergeant. And if I got that wrong, I'm sure he's going to tell me. He is uh, a farmer, he is a friend, he is somebody that I've been on road trips with and stopped at gas stations that turned out to be closed in the middle of the night with. Uh, he is one of the best people I've ever known. He was one of our shepherds. It burns for a long time until he forsook the faith and moved away to another state. And I still haven't quite forgiven him for that. Today's guest is my friend, Charlie Dauphin. Charlie, welcome to the show.
2: Well, Master, it's good to be on your show.
1: Ha. <laughs> well, here we are. We've been talking about doing this forever. Yes, we have. It, it just
2: couldn't get it worked out. And here we are today. We're going to do it.
1: Well, I am super excited. And what a lot of our listeners might not know is that years ago, you and I did something that was kind of like this, uh, when we would go around and we would visit with some of our people and interview them. Now, tell us about that.
2: Well, you know, Matthew, we went around, I believe the very first one we did was Pearl Johnson. I think that's right. And uh, she was such an a icon of the Burn Church of Christ. She lived close by, and every year, she, while she could, she wanted to have an ice cream party at her house and so she'd been well she lived to be 100 years old and uh she just loved the church she loved uh uh, putting on uh the ice cream social at her house and so we we picked her and we asked her a lot of questions about her growing up years and and uh, it was so interesting and we uh I remember Nita Bur, uh Nita well, Woodson. Donnie Buffinger's mother. Woodson. Nita Woodson. Nita Woodson. Uh Miss Nita. She was uh <laughs> I can remember yet. We asked her one question. Did you ever do anything bad? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Would you tell us about it? Oh no, 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 no. No, no. she would not. <laughs> she no, she would not. And I just can't imagine Miss Nita doing anything bad. I know. But, her it was bad so uh and then we uh went and we uh francis and oscar uh oh uh, that, over
1: there, right? i knew it till you said it
2: <laughs> yeah me too
1: oscar, anyway, griffin. Uh, oscar and francis griffin
2: griffin uh they came to church all the time and they were such a, a fun couple to be around and uh we it was great they had it uh Real hot in our house, and I didn't know that my camera would do this. At that time, we did this on camera, and all of a sudden, the camera said, <laughs> "I'm getting hot. I'm shutting down."
1: <laughs> the the worst part was it, it was so hot in that house. I thought you and I were about to pass out.
2: <laughs> oh, I thought so too. We had I, we had to take the camera and set it outside for a while, and we stayed out there with it. I think we we told we had to watch it so it didn't fall over or something. But that <laughs> had That must have had a hundred degrees in there. Shoot. But anyway, did, uh,
1: did we do any others? I was just trying to remember that. I feel like we did one or two more.
2: Yeah, I think we did, but I can't remember who those, those were the ones that really stood out in my mind. Yeah. And I don't know why we quit. Uh whether something happened that that caused us to quit for a while and we didn't get started again, but it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh getting to know the background of people and and uh I I'll, I'll never forget uh Oscar loved to uh, to lead one song. I can't remember what it was now, but he Heaven will he surely sang it be worth it all.
1: Night. Heaven will You're surely what? be worth it all.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I can see him standing up in front of the, the congregation yeah, leading that song. And uh they were just a a great couple and Miss Nita and and uh, Pearl. And I, I'm sure we did some more but I can't remember the the other ones. Me but it was a, that was a lot of fun. I'm sure that you're having a lot of fun and enjoying uh, all the other podcasts. And I'm going to have to get in there and,
1: and look at some of them. Well, you know what? Uh, what kind of bothered me a little bit was when you started rattling off those names of who we interviewed. I think every last one of them has passed away by now. So, Charlie, yeah. do you feel nervous about me recording an interview? Well, with you? you know,
2: uh, I'm going to throw that back at you. Do you feel nervous about me talking to you.
1: <laughs> that's true. You are the one who uh, is responsible. So I'll drive safe on the way home. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. We had, we didn't really have a good time doing that though. And I feel privileged that you called up and wanted to interview me.
1: Well, this is fun. And one thing that's a little bit different, um, you know, when you and I did those interviews, a lot of times we just interviewed our oldest members and we said, tell us how life is different than when you grew up. And, and Miss Pearl talked about what it was like to work in the Red Cap factory. Um, and, and, you know, stories a lot like that. But in this podcast, uh, we've been interviewing uh, kids like Lila Kate Coons, Jeff and Liz's daughter. And I think she was six. Uh, and I don't know I how old about, you are, Charlie. Aren't they about, aren't they about my age? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it has your age in it, a, a time or 10. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I act, Marcia says I act that oh. way sometimes.
1: Well, what what she's, who, who's going to give her credit for that, okay? Uh, but in this uh, in this interview, we've kind of been a little bit more focused. I've asked everybody, so tell me tell me what your God story is. And um, you know, sometimes that's a story of how a person becomes a Christian. Sometimes it's a person a story of you know a, a trial in life or a, a success in life, or, or just even the way faith changes over time. And Charlie, I've known you since what 2005, I guess, and I have no clue what you're going to tell me. So I, I'm kind of excited about this.
2: Yeah, you know, all, all the time that we're on a little road trip together, and we never did talk about me, you know, too, too much.
1: Because so, I wouldn't uh, shut up, right? Yeah, you you did all the talking. Sure, sure. So, Charlie, what's, what's your God story? Well, I guess my God story is uh, a journey.
2: And when I say that, it stretched out over many a year. And I started going to Sunday school at the Oak Park Christian Church in Savannah, Illinois. And my parents didn't go to church, but they took us and dropped us off. And the first Sunday, uh, from what my sister told me, uh, and I didn't know this until just a few years ago, uh, she was planning on taking us to the Methodist Church, which is uptown or downtown Savannah. Savannah is not uptown if you would yeah. want to explain it yeah but it was downtown savannah well it took two there were four of us kids i don't well my brother didn't go yet because he was younger but by the time she got us all dressed and ready to go we were running late <laughs> so oak park christian church was on the edge of town so she pulled in down there and we went in and went to church sunday school so back then I can remember in all the Sunday school classes, they had flannel graphs. Yeah. Did you ever have anything to do with flannel graphs?
1: Well, I never made them, but I saw them and I used them.
2: Oh, did you? Okay. Yes, sir. Well, I loved them, and I, I loved all the little stories, and I can remember uh, some of them yet. And I can remember all the older people that uh, that went to church there. And class go forward, uh, and, well... I'll go on from there. I went there for Sunday school for several years, and then I went in the Air Force. But talking about God, he watched over me, you know, all my life. i never forget one time out on the farm, Alice Shellman's tractors were pretty light on the front end, and they would come off, off the ground pretty easy. But John Deere, they just stuck right to the ground. Well, I don't know what in the world possessed me to try that. But we had a real steep hill, and I was on a John Deere A tractor. And I thought I'd try to go up that hill and see if I would get the front end to come off the ground.
1: You wanted to wheelie the tractor.
2: Yeah, going up a steep hill. (laughs) Well, God was watching over me and says, hey, you fool. And about that time, the clutch started slipping. And what am I going to do? I hit the right brake and pulled back on the throttle and whipped the steering wheel around just as quick as I could and got ahead back downhill and pulled the clutch and said, boy, why in the world did I do that? <laughs> That's the first time I could guess that I can remember God watched out for me. And then another time, well, <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell this when he
1: Oh, these are the good ones. I,
2: A friend of mine and I, there was a real narrow bridge east of Savannah, east of Mount Carroll. And I had a 57 Ford. It used to be a sheriff's car. And he had a 60 automobile. And for some strange reason, we decided to drag race out there. And that was a real narrow bridge. We went across that bridge side by side. Ooh. That was not the smartest thing. God watched over me then. And going to going back to Sunday school, I I, I knew I knew that I believed in Jesus. I bl- believed in God. I heard all those stories, but I, I didn't commit myself and to uh, to his to him. So then I went in the Air Force and I ended up spending 38 and a half years in the military. And yes, you got that right, Chief Master Sergeant of, uh, in the Air Force.
1: And I always thought it was uh, weird when you made me salute at church, but.
2: <laughs> I shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, you, you haven't changed a bit.
1: Nope.
2: So, anyway, uh, I flew a lot. Uh, I was aircraft maintenance I was a crew chief and and that was the best job I had because I took care of the airplane had it ready to go and I took care of myself uh, but then I wasn't satisfied I wanted to get more rank so I put in for the leadership uh, in charge of people and that's when you like the uh, uh, colonel and I went downtown to purchase something one time and the colonel was telling the, the local business guy, says, uh, who we were and all that. So this was downtown Nashville, Tennessee. He says, uh, oh, he said, I bet those airplanes give you a lot of trouble. Colonel says, no, the airplanes don't give us the trouble. It's the people that give us trouble.
1: That's right.
2: And how true he was. But anyway, uh, I did a lot of flying, and I guess the closest call that I had while we were flying we were well there's two of them one of them we were in uh we we're in there flying in and out of Kosovo and and uh all, all of those treat uh during the uh Soviet Union uh, uh they kept the people working together but after they split up and broke away from the Soviet Union uh they were all fighting each other. Right. We were involved carrying, taking stuff, making airdrops and also uh, landing on the ground. And for the life of me, I never did figure out who, who we were helping because on the airdrops, it looked to me like whoever got to it first got helped. Yikes. But on the, uh, the stuff on the ground, each airplane had five minutes to land offload and get the heck out of there again. So, uh, we didn't have much, any time there and, but one, uh, I remember one time we got back out and got home to Germany and, uh, during the inspection, the airplane, we found where we'd been shot at.
1: Oh, wow. And, uh,
2: it was, it was lodged there in the meadow, about maybe eight, 10 feet from where I was sitting. We didn't. We didn't even feel it. So, uh, and then the other time we were going to. Uh, well, we were on the advance party. of wonder if people were going to the desert, and we were going to the island of Crete. But uh, we took off. We had, of course, we had everything. All the fuel tanks completely full, and we got up and up to about 30,000 feet, and about that time we saw fuel coming out coming out around the uh, (laughs) coming out out around the engine exhaust.
1: That seems like a problem.
2: That's not a good idea. Anyway, we uh, we landed, well, we were over water by that time, and the pilot kept on kept on going. So we landed and we checked everything. It quit. And so what are you gonna do? We we checked it, we checked everything out. And we could not find it. So we refueled it and everything was okay, no leaks. So it flew again. And had a fuel leak, and what was happening was uh, a rivet in the uh, stop the airplane had uh, popped loose. It's not enough to see; And you couldn't see it because we, you know, when you come in, uh, you couldn't see any fuel, any marks or anything. Yeah. But when you get in airborne, everything expands.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
2: So the fuel expanded, putting pressure, and that little bitty one little uh, rivet, you've often heard that you're only as strong as the weakest link. Right. Well, in this case, you're only as strong as the weakest rivet.
1: Well, that makes sense.
2: But that one rivet, was, you know, when it got the altitude and pressurized, then it, it would leak and put it on the ground, and they liked to never found that when we, when we got it where we could work on it. Then. Yeah. But uh, they had his tear in there, and they found that one rivet, and of course everything on the inside of the tank is sealed too. But sometimes that sealer breaks down. Right. But that that was that was scary looking out there, and seeing that that uh, exhaust coming out of the engine about nine hundred degrees, and seeing that fuel coming out and the the hot air just blowing it off the side
1: uh,
2: that, uh, that that was a little scary I'd say so but uh, all my life the, the, all that time that I was in service uh, you know I when we had uh, Sundays off and we could go to church sometimes I went uh, then I got out of the habit and didn't go for a while. And then uh a very good friend of mine, named Warren G. Brown, better known as Chunky Brown, I'm sure sure that you heard of his name.
1: Uncle Chunky. Yep.
2: Uh, he talked to me and said you ought to come to you ought to come to our church. Well, what's that? He said, The Burn Church of Christ. And so he said, I wish you'd come. So I was scheduled to go to Panama on a mission for two weeks. But I told my wife and, and mother-in-law about uh, that. So when I got back from down there, they said, guess what we did while you were gone?" I said, what's that? Well, I said, uh, we went to, you were talking about going to church. And, you know, we used to go to church all, every Sunday. And said, uh, we went while you're gone both Sundays to, to Burn Church Christ. And uh, you're going this next Sunday too. So, know, <laughs> okay, okay. So,
1: they signed you up, didn't they? In
2: the meantime, I saw Chunky. He told me he said, well, about your know, wife was there, mother in law was there. And he said, I, I expect to see you there this coming Sunday. Well, okay. So, I went that Sunday and said, Let me tell you what. I did not think I was going to get to go home and eat, eat lunch,
1: <laughs>
2: but everybody there had to had to meet me and and uh, thank me for coming and and Barn Church of Christ was and now is and I hope forever is the friendliest church that I've ever been to. I I went there 33 years and uh, it just. I, I went, to, as, as uh, Jeff Coons said, they gave me an axe and a bunch of uh, stow wood to split, and I went to work right away.
1: They put you to work from day one, didn't they? Went, went to work from day one.
2: And that's the way to do when you get visitors, give them a job to make them feel important. And to get that's the way you get to know people. Some people slip in at the last minute and slip out the very first second they can. But you don't get to know them that way and it's it's important to uh, uh, for people to be put to work and have them have them do anything uh, uh, just have them involved so then i' there I was a Sunday school teacher and I, uh, and i can I know uh, a couple times we we split and had uh, two of us that together would have a Sunday school class and Randy Foquay and I. We just had so much fun, enjoyed uh, working with each other and, and doing, the, doing the class together. You knew, never knew for sure what Randy was going to say.
1: You know that's so. what he said about you, Charlie. <laughs> I seem to recall one time, uh, you guys taught a class from a book called "Gods at War." And each week you talked about something that, that people tend to make an idol of in their their lives. Uh, So, you know, power or money. I seem to recall something about a class about sex that you guys taught.
2: (laughs) I knew you were going to bring that up.
1: I I just don't know that I remember the story, Charlie. And I swear that Randy took that book and Stan
2: looked through it real quick before I did it. He said, I'll take the first week. Okay, so I hadn't looked ahead. You know, I just went week by week. And then all of a sudden there I was. I was teaching about have going to teach about sex, and uh, <laughs> to this day he, he swears up and down that he did not do that, but I believe he looks through to see how it's going to fall out and who you're going to have to. And then <laughs> I'll tell you this: he he told <laughs> he told everybody in the class. He says, "Well, next week," and you know how then you grin and smile. He said, next week, Charlie's going to teach about sex. I believe he's got a film he's going to show us. Oh, no. Poor <laughs> <Before> Glenn Buffington.
1: <laughs> he looked like he was going to die, didn't
2: he? <laughs> yeah. I guess he thought he was going to have to talk to Randy and I, but he never did.
1: Miss <laughs> so, uh, <Ms>. Nita probably <laughs> talked him out of it, so I guess yeah, you, guys, so. you guys were all right. But
2: well, it, uh well, Randy and I just had a great time uh, teaching. At uh, I think he's the only person I taught taught with like that, that and uh,
1: that was a good class.
2: And It worked great because sometimes when you're up there teaching, you can get sort of uh, maybe your your thought process doesn't keep you on track of what you had planned. Right. So the other can the other one can sort of tell that he'll jump in and make a couple comments. And that'll give the other one a chance to get back on, on court. Kind of bail you out so, when you get in trouble. Yeah. So we both sat up front. It wasn't like we we're up there by ourselves. We were up there together, and that was great. And I hope you continue to do something like that sometime. Yep.
1: Yeah, most okay. most of our classes are kind of like that these days. It's been pretty cool. Pardon? It's been we're pretty good. cool. Now you said something what? a few minutes ago. You said you know when you were younger, um, you believed, but you weren't committed. That was kind of, I think, the phrase you used.
2: Yes, I, I, I've i always believed in God ever since I, my first Bible I got uh, was Christmas of 1953. I know you weren't around yet,
1: <laughs>
2: but uh, I had just started going to church and Sunday school, basically, and we'd say church sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister was baptized at that church then, and, uh, but I always knew that I always knew that uh, I couldn't do anything for myself to get to heaven. Uh, You know, you only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. That's right. And, you know, there's no other way. Because he is the light, he's the way, and it's the only way that you're going to get to the Father except through him. Uh, But somehow, I just, uh, I hadn't got to that point. So... Anyway, getting back to Chunky Brown, and they finally let me go home and eat. <laughs> and then it was just uh, every Sunday we were there, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And it was <laughs> funny back then, in the old building, everybody had their regular seats.
1: Yeah. And
2: on Sunday morning, they sat somewhere else on uh, Wednesday, and yet they sat a different place on uh what I missed. Sunday night, okay. Sunday night, all three nights. Right. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. People sat in different places, and you better not get in their place.
1: (laughs) I know. And, uh, anyway,
2: one one of them asked me, and at that time, so many people were related, uh, there, and one of them asked me one time, well, you're an outsider. Uh, what do you see as our biggest problem here in this congregation? I said,
1: You're all related. <laughs> he said, I'm not dumb. I'm not answering that question. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm not,
2: yeah, everybody would ask you, Well, do you know so and so? Well, that would turn out to be their cousin or a brother or something. So I learned real quick to keep my mouth shut. Well, my wife now says that I didn't.
1: <laughs> well, but anyway, some lessons have to be relearned from time to time. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I started, it was in June when I went to Panama on that trip, yeah, 1982. And uh, the, uh, you know, I started, uh, Dean Franklin was a the preacher there at the time. He was a uh, professor at Dave Lipscomb. And, I got to listen to him and got to talking to him, got to know him good and we did a lot of talking and Chunky Brown kept talking to me and so I suffered uh, what I call the white knuckle treatment.
1: Hmm. You
2: know what night white knuckle treatment is?
1: Tell me about it, Charlie. Or white knuckle syndrome.
2: Well, every morning when it's Sunday morning or night or whatever night or Wednesday night. Whenever they played the, the uh, invitation song, I knew I needed to go down there. I needed in know to go, but and my body was trying to go, but my n- hand were, grabbed a hold of that pew so tight that I was getting white knuckles.
1: That's right. You were, you were hanging on for dear life, weren't you? I, I, I was hanging on for dear life. but uh,
2: My real life, I didn't know about yet. Mm. So finally... One Sunday morning, my hands let go, and I just marched right on down there and and uh, uh, told Brother Freely what I wanted and and that I believed in God and and uh, I wanted to be baptized. So I, didn't, I it was in September, I think. So there wasn't too much time there in between when I first started going and when I got baptized. Yeah. So. Immediately, they, uh, put me to work, and, uh, I think Chunky was, a, we always read, uh, uh, we had a book for Sunday school, and we always read part of it first, and then we went down and through, went through it, and I think about the next weekend, and it was next Sunday, Chunky had me up there, uh, reading, and, and I remember the, old. Oh, uh, can you can think of her name, what's, a, what's the, uh, Stewart uh. Uh, Mrs. Stewart, she was the principal of the Byrne School.
1: Oh, um, I- Eileen? Uh, yeah, uh,
2: Eileen Stewart. And she uh, told me after I got up there the first time, and she come up and she says, thank you so much for getting up there right away and reading. But she said, I want to tell you one thing. I want to give you one little bit of advice. She says, a lot of us elderly people are hard of hearing. So you need to remember right from the start that you got to speak loud." So I thought, well that you know, it didn't hurt my feelings at all. Some people might not like it, but yeah. You know, I took it as a compliment that and I'm glad that she came up and told me because that way I could speak up.
1: Yeah, that way you could do something about it. Yeah, so
2: because it's awful when you get somebody up there speaking that you can't can't hear. It. Yeah. And now that I'm wearing hearing aids, if I if you say something I don't want to hear, Matt, I'll just turn it
1: down. <laughs> Yeah, back in the good old days, you just had to, you know, ignore me the old fashioned way.
2: Yeah. But working at Barnes was just, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was so hard to leave. Uh, and then we watched what happened after we left that it just exploded. And I told Matt, I said, you know, I t- I'm serious. If we'd have known it was going to, uh, the, Burn the congregation and gonna blow up like this and get every you know get so many more people. I said we'd have left quicker.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you were what was holding us back all that time, Charlie. <laughs> I know, and to, to
2: tell you the truth, there was a time at burns. That Sunday morning we'd have about fourteen people. Sunday night we'd have twelve people. Wednesday night we'd have about uh, somewhere between eleven and fourteen. And at one time. Uh, we didn't have any elders at the time. We had uh, a men's board. And at one time, uh, they were talking about closing the doors and everybody splitting up and going to different congregations. And Chunky Brown and I fought that idea and wanted to keep it open. And so, we struggled along. We even went to another uh, Conner gave in, in Dixon to see if they would sort of, if the elders would give us some help and advice, but uh, they did not come and help us. Mm. So we struggled along, and uh, we went through two or three more preachers, I guess. And then we got, uh, got uh, James Inkle came. Along. Yes. And James Inkle was a godsend.
1: Yes, he is. And
2: uh, learned so much from James, and uh, he had good, uh, good knowledge. He had a good head. Uh, he was always talking about people needing the biggest thing people needed was a checkup to neck up. <laughs> and he even wrote a song about it uh, for Christmas time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did
2: they? Do you still sing that?
1: We still sing James's song every Christmas. Jesus was born <laughs> in Bethlehem. Yes. <laughs>
2: Uh, and it was such a. I mean, he was such a. I remember Chuck told my son, Chuck told uh, James, maybe it's time that Burns didn't need a white haired person. Oh, no, so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, James was there. How many years did he preach there?
1: Ooh, I don't remember what year he came, it was 2002, three, something like that. Something like that.
2: Anyway, he really did help the congregation. He was so. Knowledge and so person uh people oriented and and knew how to handle things. I went out with him visiting him a lot and and it was so uh great to see how he handled things and and could talk to people. He's just and amazing he was and I worked with Jeff Koons a lot and uh he was really easy and good to work with and then along came this young guy
1: uh that's the worst. That was, uh,
2: I guess he was supposed to be a uh, maybe two or three different things. He was supposed to be a, a, a youth director, I think, and I think he was supposed to be a a song leader, and I think he was supposed to be a gopher, like to just fill in here and fill in there. That's right. His, his name was Matthew Hyatt.
1: Uh huh. And that's when the Church of Burns just, uh, just really fell apart.
2: He just. <laughs> He just uh, came from a different mold.
0: He's not
2: what, <laughs> he's not what most people think uh, about a preacher, but he was, uh, he, everybody loved him from the little bitty kids all the way to the oldest person. And Matthew, I congratulate you that uh, you're still that way. And how many years have you been there now
1: preaching? Uh, I don't even know. Um, I started, like you said, as the associate in 05 or 06, and I think I started preaching full time in January of 11. So I
2: and think this Matthew, is 2023. Matthew said uh, when James is getting ready to preach and or quit, and uh, Matthew's going to take over, he said, Now, James, he said, uh, you, you can sit yeah, right you up front if I say something wrong or just sort mm-hmm. to give me some it kind of signal sense. or whatever. And, <laughs> James says, I'm not going to be here, Matthew.
1: <laughs> yeah, he got out of Dodge. What do you know
2: what he means? What he means? He says, Matthew. When you, th- when you take over, you got to take over. You can't you can't rely on anybody else. I'm not going to be here on purpose because you're going to take over and you're going to take over by yourself. So he was a little bit, uh, Matthew was a little bit nervous about it, but James took off, and it was the smoothest transition I've ever seen.
1: Well, I told James I just prayed that everybody would live until he got back from out of town so he could do the funerals.
2: <laughs> one story on Matthew. There's a couple of stories about Matthew. Uh, someone, the first day he come to try out preaching, uh one of the congregation fell asleep and snored. <laughs> Matt just knew that.
1: Yeah, he didn't stand a chance. And Charlie, when you say she snored, it wasn't like a little snore. It was like a <laughs> a comic book Wake the Dead kind of snore. <laughs> <laughs> I was up front uh, teaching and I I watched it happen. I see everybody whispering, looking at each other. And I thought, well, I'm not getting this job, am I?
2: And then there was a time he he, he put in uh, seriously for this job. And, I mean, they had the grill turned up as high as it would go. And they wrote, threw him on the grill and rolled him over and over and he come off and he, he, uh, he didn't even think that he was going to put in for another pre- preaching job at all. And then I think, hadn't they already talked to you about coming to Burns?
1: Yeah, it was the, the same weekend I interviewed at Burns. I interviewed at this other place, and good grief, it was awful there.
2: Yeah, and
1: uh,
2: so he put in and went right
1: to work and started splitting wood and, yeah. and been here all this time. Well, Charlie, you might have forgotten about this part, but— um... I showed up at Burns that Sunday night, and Burns forgot that it invited me to come. <laughs> so, oh, I didn't know that. It was the night that Walnut Street's youth chorus was in uh, oh, yeah. Burns at the Young Men's Service. So eventually, it may have been you and, um oh, Doug, um, Doug Jocelyn, I think, put together that there's this guy that we don't know who doesn't look like he's with Walnut Street. Anybody know why he's here? Yeah. <laughs> And Jeff and Glenn took me, uh, they're like, we're so sorry. We forgot you were coming. We have this other group here. Can we talk to you once they leave? So I kind of got put in a corner until it was all over. But it was a it, that's the sort of disorganization that has continued for 17 years. Yeah,
2: I forgot about that. It, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, one other thing, first time that Matthew got up there and was going to preach, good old Randy Fuqua, tell him what Randy told you.
1: As I'm ready to walk in the auditorium, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, he just grabbed me by the arm and just whispered in my ear, don't blow it. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, I guess you don't know this, Charlie, but we have a a guy who's been with us for a couple of years now. His name's Steve Watson. And that's what he tells me every Sunday now, too. So now I've got two guys telling me not to blow it. Okay. (laughs) So uh, uh... it's always been an encouraging place. Anyway, yes, it has,
2: and such a loving uh, place. And I remember when we uh, got ready to build a new building, Connie and Glenn they were carried away when, especially uh, Connie, telling about how how loving that congregation was and and uh, friendly and all that. And she, when we were having our meetings about building the new building and what what we were going to get the new pews and all that, she said, "Well, let's make sure of one thing: let's don't get." Above ourselves and forget about the kind of congregation we are. Yes. And I always remember that. And it's so important to uh, keep that friendship going and keep everybody involved. And, and by, by keeping everybody involved, you're going to have more friendships going and, and getting to know each other. <laughs> and getting to know each other takes me back to, uh, you know, we used to have. Uh, Halloween party, we had a Halloween party okay. down in Keys, and uh, then uh, uh, I'd always take everybody on a hayride. And Service. I know that one year it was really a good and we put a lot of work and effort into it. And, and uh, we had John Gabriel tied up in a tree, and he had a harness on, he thought it would be comfortable enough, but it was pretty, pretty rough on him. But he had spray stuff that when I went under with a tractor and trailer, it with all the kids gone, he'd spray stuff on them yell at them, and throw stuff at them. and and uh, then uh, I had the cows shut out of the, that pasture in the barn I, we drove right through the the barn with a tractor and hay rack with people on there and and uh, we had sirens in there and we had uh, yeah those lights uh-huh. and we went down and and uh, we had uh, John's brother partially buried.
1: Yes,
2: down, <laughs> down by the pond, and uh, he, uh, we went by there, and I says I yelled back. I said uh, Leslie was on the front of the, of the trailer. I said Leslie, jump off and check to see what's going on. She, so she went over there, and John's brother grabbed her by the ankle. Yes, and she let out a squall. We had a kid that was from White Bluff. I can't think of his name. He, he threw down himself down the middle of the uh, the trailer and was scared to death. <laughs> and I asked one of them, I said, Does somebody come and help Leslie. And I said, let him get her. Let him get her.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Women and <laughs> children first.
2: Keep, they wanted me to keep on going. So after it was over, we were in the house, and I and, uh, asked the guy about it and that threw himself in the middle of the trailer. Oh, he said, that stuff didn't scare me. <laughs>
1: didn't and down
2: neighbor said, well, why were you laying in the middle of the trailer then?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, those those uh, middle school boys are always so big and tough, aren't they? Yeah.
2: But it, that was really one of the best uh, you know, Halloween parties we had down there. Went into it.
1: We had and, some uh, some good times doing that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Now, and by having those good social events, you know it brings people closer together. Exactly. Talking about Don and Keith, they were always an integral part of, of our lives, and and uh, Mark and I, you know, went on trips with them and all that. And and uh, they always had the Halloween parties, and and Don and Keith, Don, uh Keith used to love to come down and help them on, on the farm. He couldn't. There's a lot of things he couldn't do, but a lot of things he could. He called himself uh, Farm Hand Oliver.
1: Yes, he did. So, uh, anyway, he... Didn't the Livestock Association make him like an honorary member or something at one yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, sure did. And uh, and they always
2: gave to the Livestock Association. And talking about that, that's another story I knew that you probably wouldn't forget. Uh, the Livestock Association tried to raise money for scholarships and stuff for youth getting out of school and going to college so we had a uh, state sandwich cookouts and we invited uh uh matt to come to one of those one time so i don't know whether matthew couldn't say dixon county livestock association or
1: what but he nicknamed them the dixon county cow people <laughs> i just never could remember the right name because i it seems like some people call them the Cattlemen's Club, and some people it was the Livestock Association, and that was just a mouthful. So I, yeah, Dixon County cow people. Yeah, and by so the way, Charlie, I, I had that steak sandwich for lunch uh, uh, two Fridays ago. They're still doing that fundraiser.
2: Oh, are they? Well, good. They were really good times. I guess they still are.
1: They are. The price has gone up since you and I did it. But... I'm mad. At How much are they now? Uh, it was still a pretty good deal. I think it was fifteen dollars for your box of lunch. Oh, and... yeah. That we was, charged, uh, you know, you still got a drink and maybe some chips and some, some sautéed onions and mushrooms or something like that.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, I don't know how much time you're going to allow, but, uh. Well, I got a we, couple more uh,
1: questions for you if you got it. Oh, okay. So let's talk about, um, uh, your friendship with Keith and Donna. Uh, Keith was a legend at Burns, uh, for a variety of reasons, but a lot of our people today, uh. I mean, you've been gone to Illinois. How long has it been since you moved from Burns up there?
2: Seven years this past April.
1: Seven years. The only, um,
2: the only reason we moved was my family was falling apart up here. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. Marcia and I, uh, I knew Marcia had wanted to, you know, go home, go back to Illinois. She thought she'd see her, her kids more often and uh but she, she got attached to The Burns, too. And so then my brother, my two brothers in laws were uh, getting real sick. So, and my sister uh, got bucked off a horse and landed right on her head. And and everything was just falling apart. And it was so hard because we absolutely loved Burns, Tennessee and, and the area and the people and the church. And so, but God told us that we needed to go up and and help. So, we packed everything up and moved out. And we come up here, and it was no time. My two in laws passed away. Uh, my sister improved quite a little bit, but she still has problems. And then my youngest, my younger brother. Well, I have one brother. He was four years younger than me. His wife was younger than him, and she came down with cancer, uh. and we lost her. And then it wasn't no time, maybe five or six months. Uh, he came down with cancer. Yikes! And we lost him. And but I did get to work with him every day. And and when he got so bad, I uh, I was doing all the work, taking care of the socks and everything. And I go in and talk to him, and I still didn't realize how bad off he was until uh, one day he told me, so I think I'm going to sell cattle, not have any cattle next year. I thought he, he could just cut down. So now I got other things I'd like to do, and I guess that was his way of telling me that that he wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And uh, so then that was such a huge loss. Uh, I was, you know, losing both of them, and we lost, and then we lost Chuck, and we lost uh, five, and and Marcia won her favorite uncle they all passed away in 11 months time five of them and so we didn't have time to grieve the more the first one let alone all of them yeah so we packed up and well we moved before chuck passed away but uh moved up here and tried to find the church Uh, one church pastor knew that we were coming but uh we stood, stood out like sore thumbs because I think there only 10 or 11 people there, and we are newbies, nobody, not one person spoke to us. Yeah. So then uh, we went to the congregation they were in a new building, but it the same congregation of where I went when I was a kid the uh, First Christian Church I mean uh, Oak. Oak Park Christian Church well, oh, there's a city in by Chicago called Oak Park so somewhere there, they there all the time getting mixed up getting mail from the other place and all this and yeah so they changed their name and I think something happened in mid62 uh, between uh Christian church and uh Church of Christ and something anyway then they became a not sure, Christian church the Christian uh, Christian church I think they had a some people broke away and i think they're calling themselves a bible church gotcha so that's what this congregation now called there's still a few of them living that were there when i was a kid oh. uh so it's a real small congregation but it was it is not as friendly as burned by a long shot so marcia and i went about to make sure that we Greeted everybody every Sunday, and especially the the newbies. And we went through our our minister got uh, cancer, and he was real bad off. Then he retired, and we went two years with the fill-ins. And uh,
1: you've even you preached know. a couple of times through here, haven't you?
2: I did, I did.
1: But have and they I, have they had you lead singing, Charlie? No. Tell me about, there was a time when one of the ladies decided we need a song leading class at Burns.
2: Uh, Well, some of you probably know Kenny Gibbs. And Kenny was a regular song leader, and I was his fill-in when he had to work on Sunday. Well, if Kenny and I had, if you know what a number two tub is, if Kenny and I had the handles on each side, we couldn't carry a note between the two
1: of us <laughs> well
2: anyway this one lady said that uh she had a graph. one day she wanted to talk to us because so she took us back in the little back back room there and she had this little graph two graphs made up for us to look at and two of those what do you call them sound pipes or what? Uh, pitch pipes pitch pipe and she gave each one of us one and each each one of us that little graph told us she she wanted us practice and because we needed to learn how to sing, lead singing. Anyway, all, <laughs> all, all we knew to do was blow on that thing. It, it didn't mean anything to us. <laughs> we didn't know anything the first thing about music. So I went by it all in a while and we didn't improve. So one Sunday, she says, I want that sound pipe back. Pitch pipe. I want that pitch pipe back. Well, I couldn't find mine. So she asked Kenny, Kenny said, I know exactly where it's at. So he he brought it back in. She had hounded me for two or three months wanting that pitch pipe and I could not remember where I put it. But anyway, later on, she was in the nursing home and I found it. So her daughter went there. So I took it to her and I asked her, I said, your mother wanted this back real bad. Because she was going to teach Kenny and I how to lead singing. Well, I says here it is. You want that? She says, no. I don't want
1: that. So <laughs> she, she had given up on you, hadn't she? Yeah. So, so I remember another time you and I were at the nursing home together, and we were visiting Miss Louise Dormer. Um, and she had pretty bad Alzheimer's at the time. Do you remember this? I do. do. And uh, she was she was in that stage where she really had lost pretty much all of her all of her ability to to think and have conversation and recognize people, especially people like you know you and me that weren't immediate family or anything. I remember she was, she was cuddling this stuffed animal cat, but we talked to her, you know, how's your day? And she, she hadn't responded to pretty much anything either you or me said. And all of a sudden, just from the silence, her, her hand kind of starts lifting up out of the bed and she, she sticks out a finger. Her hand's just super shaky and it just points to my belly. And she looks at me and says, you're sure getting fat. (laughs) And, And, you're over there next to me, dying, laughing, watching while I'm trying to figure out what to say to her. And then that little hand just shakes from my belly to yours and says, kind of like him.
2: Yeah, I remember that.
1: Uh, I can't remember if we told that story at her funeral or not, but we probably should have. She was a sweet lady, but those diseases are She was, are and surcom- she was
2: a super good cook. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and she and know, uh, her husband, Jim, were both as deaf as they could come in those last few years. And you'd go, you could talk to them, but they would each have their own separate conversation with you because neither of them could hear the other one.
2: Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget, Jim uh, bought him a new uh, one of the mini tillers. He wanted to show it to me. That thing got away from him went right up his blue jeans, you know. Oh. He pulled up his pant leg it, it ate his shin bone up. E. <laughs> But she was a super good uh, cook and she was always the first. They were always the first ones to go to visitation when somebody passed away.
1: I don't know and that they, I ever went they, to the funeral home and didn't see them. They were always there.
2: And they'd always have food, you know, and uh, it just, they were they were great people. And I got a, I had an old table that belonged to my uh, great, I guess it would have been my great grandmother. It's around, uh, table at the top you know it's uh uh oh you know it's not smooth it's uh, where they did design work on it oh okay, and it had the the ball and claw uh on the bottom for the for the legs and it it had all probably ten or eleven coats of paint on it and lacquer and all this but I never did do anything to it well uh they, they'd been up to the house visiting several times. They saw it and they were marveling about how nice that table would be looking good. I said, yeah, I said, I know. I should have redone it, but I never did. Well, I went on a two week um, trip, mission trip. And, uh, I got, when I got back, my sweet corn was in. And so I went out there and picking sweet corn, taking here and there, and I took some down to them. They're out in the back yard back porch working on on a table you know I didn't pay much attention. I got you some sweet corn they they looked at me like oh uh uh and I thought well, they they sure look funny
1: yeah.
2: anyway and, uh she said well let's take that in here and, and so I took the sweet corn in and I talked to them about a half an hour and left and I got home and I said boy they sure look act a little bit different but anyway next day they came and brought my table back. I didn't even <laughs> didn't even realize that it was my table they were working on.
1: They stole and your they, table and that, you nearly caught them.
2: Yeah, and they cleaned that all the way, you know, uh, redid it all, and it was just absolutely beautiful.
1: That's so cool.
2: And it, it is uh, to this day. Yeah, you and I went on some other visits, too. And, we, uh, we had some adventures. We did, and then uh, I'll never forget the uh, trip that... Uh, <laughs> Keith's mother was in the hospital down at uh um,
1: guess, Augusta, that's Georgia, right. In Georgia? Yes, yeah.
2: they right, I guess they're right on the border. She's in the hospital anyway. We went down to, to visit uh see her and to visit Keith. And uh, the sister there was all at the hospital. We walked down and we were looking for a room and we passed it. She looked I mean, uh Keith looked up and said, Oh, those you guys should've like should have like Charlie and Matt. And <laughs> so we turned around and come back and and stuck our heads in there and they couldn't believe that we'd driven all the way down there. And we talked nonstop from the time we left Burns to the time we got back.
1: That was a long and day.
2: We, that, yeah, that was a long day. And they were so glad to see us and talking about Don and Keith, they they were they were such part of our lives, you know, I uh, she tried to raise a little garden on her hillside and said, you know, why don't you just, whatever you want to plant, plant it in our garden and, and you can come on if you want to come and help on it. And so she'd leave work and she'd get out there on those hot days and be pulling weeds. And she said it was, a, it was a relaxing to her to, to get out and work in the garden like that after being at work all day long. Yeah. Arguing with people, but. They're very much a part of our lives, and we we love them to death. So anyway, anyway, we got back up here, and we are now going to Savannah Bible Church. And pretty much, as best I can understand, it believes everything just about like the church, Christ. And uh, I'm an elder
1: there. I didn't realize that. Congratulations! Well, thank you. Or I'm sorry, whichever one feels more
2: appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's just two of
2: us, and uh, so anyway, it's a, it's a it's growing. We we March and I try to get around every Sunday and and greet everybody and and uh, think it's wearing off on people and uh, that more people talk. You know, it's uh, they get up there getting ready to to start and. It's getting now to where you have to say it a couple times because people are talking, you know, like is. Yes. Unless they quit.
1: <laughs> well, there's a reason we start service every week with a song. It's the only way you can get people to shut up. <laughs> and, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, it lets people kind of finish up the conversations before uh, before we really get going. So uh, that's a good problem to have. You don't have ring a bell. Uh, I do have a gavel. I just try not to use it. Oh, Okay. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe Markin made that for me a long time ago. Yeah,
2: he he made some real nice little uh, 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 cabinets, I guess you'd call them, on, on wheel. Yes. For Martin. And he he was just so good at making stuff like that.
1: Mm. Well, Charlie, well, this Martin has been has a...
2: made her a real nice gavel in school.
1: That's right. Well, thanks so much for having this conversation and letting us do this podcast. Uh, are, are there any other stories you... Want to make sure you get to tell?
2: Well, I probably should have told something that I shouldn't have. But hey. anyway, they were part of my life, and uh, I could probably tell the one on, on you. Of course, you hinted about it anyway.
1: <laughs> but
2: uh, I'll just uh, let people guess. And uh,
1: Well, I mean, what happens at 840 at 1 in the morning stays on 840 at 1 in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I think think that's a reasonable uh, description of that story that when a man's gotta go a man's gotta go (laughs) well friends thank you so much for listening to our episode today you know where to find the show and I hope that you'll share it with a friend if you find it helpful and I sure look forward to hearing what God is up to in your story next time
0: thanks for listening to Rough Drafts be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.